Welcome to EQ Mind's Recharge Your Mental Health podcast. I'm Chelsea Pottinger, the host of this show, and I have some very exciting news. My book, The Mindful High Performer, is now available in the USA. Tap the link in the description to grab a copy today so you can make small shifts to be a calmer, happier, more productive version of yourself. Today, I'm joined by Dr. John Finn, best-selling author of The Habit Mechanic and founder of the consultancy Tougher Minds, which helps people build habits that enable them to fulfill their potential. Dr. John Finn has three psychology-related degrees, including a PhD, and has worked in performance psychology, resilience, and leadership science for over 20 years. If you love understanding how your brain works, just like I do, then this episode is for you. Dr. John and I cover everything from why habits fail, the science behind building habits, how you make your decisions, drivers that enforce your behavior, and how your brain stores memory. This episode is full of practical insights, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's get started. I am so excited to welcome Dr. John Finn to the EQ Minds podcast today. John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Chelsea. It's great to be here. As I mentioned before, I bought your book. Absolutely loved your book, The Habit Mechanic, because it has got so much value in there and it's very, very practical and it's science-based and so it's kind of ticking all the things that I love. And so I want to really utilize this, this time with you around what you know a lot about, which is habits. And so the first question I wanted to ask you was, you know, why do habits fail and how do you actually make them stick? And, and perhaps also give the audience some understanding of where you come from in terms of your experience and, and your training. Yeah, I, th- I think a good place to start with understanding habits is forget everything you thought you knew about habits because it isn't 40% of what you do and it, you don't build a new one in 21 days. I would go as far to say this, if you think that your people are your biggest asset, you're going to fail in the post-COVID world. The biggest asset in your business are your people's habits, which are part of your people, but they're different. Your people are logical and they're insightful and they know what they need to do. But ultimately, 98% at least of what they think and do is automatic, semi-automatic behavior. So when we think of habits, we've been told it's about 40% of what we do. That's not true. It's at least 98%, and it's probably more. We think of habits as physical things like how we exercise, how we eat, picking your nose or doing some (laughs) bad habit-type things, smoking. Habits are also how you think. It's how you make decisions. It's how you make judgments about things. And thirdly, our worst habits like worrying and beating ourselves up and getting overly stressed, these are hardwired into us and it's easier than ever to get better at those things in the world that we live in because we get good at what we practice and we're practicing unhelpful habits silently all the time. So if you think of your workforce and just pick one person, think of a barcode or think of your own life, Think of a barcode of a 24-hour a twenty-four hour period. So 24 hours a day is all you've got. It's like a barcode. Think of the black lines being times when you're thinking and doing things that are not helpful for your goals. 
In other words, your unhelpful habits. Think of the white lines when you're thinking and doing things that are helpful for your goals, your helpful habits. So we have this mix of helpful habits and unhelpful habits. And certainly what I've seen over the over the last few years is people reporting that they're developing a lot more black lines in their 24 hours. So the first thing that we need to do if we want to start building more helpful habits is recognize what the unhelpful ones are. And we distinguish, you know, you might have hundreds, if not thousands of habits driving what you're thinking and doing right this second, right now. And they're invisible to you. You don't, you don't really understand them. So what we've understood over the last 20 or so years of working in this space is that some habits are more powerful than others. Some habits are more negatively powerful. Some habits are more positively powerful. So we call them the powerful negative habits, destructive habits. And we call the powerful powerful positive habits, super habits. So really the idea of becoming a habit mechanic is going on a journey to uncover these destructive habits and these super habits, to start getting rid of the destructive habits, start building more super habits. And once you find an area, and and this is what the book is all about, it's it's your manual for life, it's a toolkit for success, it guides you through this journey. It shows you how to analyze your habits, it shows shows you how to start building new ones. But once you've analyzed, once you've found a, a new habit you, you want to work on, there is an absolute science that you can use to start building new habits. And again, if we want our people to build better habits, we, we've got to take a scientific approach to doing this. And the, the core sciences that I've been interested in over the past 20 years are neuroscience, how your brain works. That shows us most of what we're doing is mindless. It's automatic. It's semi-automatic. Then also behavioral science, which is a science of why we do what we do. And when we look at behavioral science, people sometimes are familiar with the idea of things like triggering and nudging or make a tiny habit. And the landscape of behavioral science is owned by maybe 20, 30 leading behavioral scientists, professors across the globe. And they all have their own little niche interest in different elements of behavioral science. And they're incentivized to trumpet their bit and say, this is the most important bit. This is the bit that explains everything that we do. And what I found is that just isn't true. Nothing, not one of those experts, the thing they study explains everything about why people do what they do. So we innovated our own model called the nine action factors model. So if you want to create habits that stick and actually you can not only build in a consistent, reliable way, but you can sustain, you've got to use that behavioral science and our nine action factors model. And the way to explain this very quickly is the nine factors. If you want me to go there, Chelsea. I'd love you to. Yeah, let's, let's so, do it. Let's go there. Learning to drive is a, is a great example. If we think of habits and behaviors, behaviors are everything that we think and we do. And some behaviors are simple, some are complex. And you can think of on a continuum. On one of the continuum, you've got uh, simple behaviors. The other end is complex behaviors. So simple behaviors are things like eating more donuts, beating yourself up more, watching more Netflix, doing less exercise. You don't have to worry too much about behavioral science if you want to build more of those habits because you've already got lots of behavioral science on your side. The other end of the continuum is complex behaviors. This is things like managing stress, being more productive, being a better leader building more confidence, performing under pressure. Learning to drive is a complex behavior. 
So it's a good example to use to think about the narration factors. Most people have learned to do it. If you, if you can't drive, don't worry, this will still make sense. So when you learn to drive, it's a set of complex behaviors that you learn, in other words, habits. There are nine drivers of why we get good at it or we don't get good at it. The first factor is what we call the mindset factor, the habit mechanic mindset factor. If you don't believe you can learn to drive, you're not going to be able to do it. So if you want to build a new habit, you need to understand, you've got a better chance of doing it if you understand how your brain works. It is malleable. It can change. You do get good at what you practice. So that's the first thing. The second factor is what we call the tiny factor. So when you learn to drive, you accept that after the first lesson, you're not going to be able to do it competently. After the first week, you're not going to be able to do it competently. In fact, after the first lesson, you don't even drive anyway. You just typically just learn where things are in the car. Yet when we're trying to lose weight, if we can't do it after the first week, we give up and we beat ourselves up and we tell ourselves we're useless. So we have to understand that we can make change, but it's one tiny change at a time. The next factor is what we call personal motivation. So if you've learned to drive, there was a bigger, more meaningful reason why. I had to get the kids to school. I wanted to be the first person in my peer group to do it. Uh, I needed to get to work. So whatever new habit you want to build, if you can connect it to a bigger, meaningful goal, that's going to be make it easy to keep persisting with it. The next factor is what we call personal knowledge and skills. So you may have all the motivation in the world to want to learn how to drive, but without lessons, you can't, you can't do it. That's why you have lessons to get more knowledge and skills. So if you, it's one thing knowing that you want to get better at managing stress or become a better leader, but actually you're going to have to get some new knowledge and skills to allow you to do that. The next factor closely connected to that is called community knowledge and skills. So if you're learning to drive, if your parents know how to do it, that's really helpful because they can take you for a free um, supermarket, a supermarket car park lesson at the weekend. And that's why when we teach people that haven't mechanic approach, we've created this really shareable, simple language so that everyone in the community can start to learn and help and support each other. The next factor is called um, social influence. So if you want to learn to be a great driver, for example, and your father doesn't think the speed limit is a valid idea, that's not going to be a great role model for you. If your mother doesn't believe in car insurance, that's not going to be very helpful for you. So we've got to recognize the influence of people around us. And of course, with remote hybrid working, that influence has been changed. The next factor is rewards and penalties. So if you, if you drive well, you get your license, that's a reward. Keep driving well, your car insurance goes down, you get to retain your license. If you drive poorly, you might never get your license. If you get your license and drive poorly, your car insurance goes up, you get monetary fines, you eventually lose your license. So we've got to think about what are the reward and penalty systems driving the behaviors. They're quite complex in some ways, but we unpack all that in the book. The next factor is what we call um, external triggers. So when you're driving, you're getting reminded what to do all the time. So if you don't put your seatbelt on now, there's a ping, ping, ping to remind you what to do. There's a accelerator um, graphic in your car that's telling you how fast you're driving. There's literally a line in the middle of the road to remind you which side to, to drive on. There are speed cameras, there are zebra crossings, traffic lights, cop cars, etc. And the final factor 
is what we call brain states. So if you try to learn to drive when you're sleep deprived, it's not going to be a very efficient and effective process. So we've got to make sure that when we're learning new behaviors, building new habits, that we've got to have, we've got to get to the right brain state. So there is a science that we can use to build our own um, habits. There's a science we can use to help other people to build habits, to build fantastic cultures. And if we want to do those two things, we're going to have a much better chance of doing them if we use the science. So that's how we can start to build more sustainable habits that actually help us to do better. Does that make sense, Chelsea? 100%. That is so fascinating and brilliant. And so, you know, I mean, we hear it all the time out there, 21 days to form a habit, short-term memory, 66 days long-term memory on average across the globe for human populations. What is there, is there any science behind that? Like what's what's going on with those numbers that people kind of get really stuck on? Yeah, so I think some of those ideas do come out of experiment, experiment, you know, research studies, but they're often done in very small populations. But the thing that we have to bear in mind all the time is that we've only been able to look inside the human brain in real time for about 20 years. So our ability to do that came with some technology called functional MRI scanners. And about 20 years ago, that technology became cheap enough that we could start to use it as researchers and, you know, experiment and see what was actually going on. Now, if you spoke to a top um, neuroscientist 20 years ago, or, you know, 21 years ago, they would have been pretty compelled that when you stopped physically growing, your brain stopped changing in any meaningful way. And of course, functional uh, functional MRI is going to show that that isn't true at all, that our brains are changing all the time via this process called neuroplasticity. So if we, and we get our, our neurons and our 100 billion or so neurons we've got in our brain, they're changing according to what we practice. So if we're going to think about how we learn and how we change, we've got to go back to first principles. And for most of our time on the planet, we haven't really understood the first principles. So the first principles really say you get good at what you practice. So, right, I practiced this thing for 21 days and I got really good at it. But then if for the next 21 days I practice something different, I'll get good at the thing I'm the other thing I'm practicing. We know that the way the learning process works like this. You pay attention to something and you hold that thing then in your short-term memory for about 30 seconds. You can hold maybe five to seven chunks of information in your short-term memory for about 30 seconds. If you don't do something with those things, those that, those five to seven chunks of information in your short-term memory within 30 seconds, your brain dumps them and gets rid of them. And also it can only hold five to seven bits. So if I say to you, Chelsea, I want you to remember some numbers five, seven, 23, 33, 102, 10,021, uh, 33, 89, 97, 105, 210, 127, 330. Okay, can you recall those? No, because I just yeah. overloaded your short-term memory, right? So we, we hold things in our short-term memory and then the way we move them into our long-term memory in simple terms is we repeat them. So... Repeating could be writing it down, it could be saying it, it could be thinking it to yourself. So we understand how learning works. And in fact, in, in the book, I break this down into the what, what, what I call the 10 intelligence factors, which are the superchargers and the blockers of, of your learning. 
So there is a science of learning. Most of the common um, knowledge out there about habits and how we learn probably doesn't stand up that very well, very well compared to that science. You know, mm -hmm. most of us were conditioned at school to believe that we were good at some things and we just weren't good at other things and we would never be good at those things. So there's not, not much point in trying. The problem now is that in your workforce that your people don't just learn their core professional skills when they're in the early parts of their career anymore, like we did in the factory model or we did 20 years ago. Our people need to keep learning and keep refining because of the new technologies that are coming. And that's why their habits are the most important asset to the business because they'll agree, yeah, it's good. I, I need to learn that. And yeah, I'll, I, I will do that. And I promise I'll do it. But then the habits take over 10 seconds later and mm -hmm. they go back to whatever else they were doing. And what I'm certainly seeing, Chelsea, is that what senior leaders report to me is they know that they need to make dramatic changes in the, in the, in their, the strategy of the strategic outlook of their business that they know that they've got to radically change the way they do business to, to beat the competition. They can get their people to buy into that to some extent, but then the comeback is from their people, yeah, but I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And what I see is that people, and I just wrote an article for Forbes about this, is that I think when lockdown first happened, people wanted to be, more present and show they were working. So they were showing up more in email and, you know, in the chat forums, et cetera, for work, Slack, et cetera. And now they've built the habit of doing that. So I think really what we're seeing is people are really busy for sure, but I don't think they're doing more work. I think we're just busier doing the same amount of work, but in more time because we're, because our habits, we've developed more and helpful habits ultimately. Um, but I'm not really hear, hearing anyone talking about it like that. And until we do, we're not going to get to the root of the problem. So habits not only are central to everything that we do as human beings, they're more important than ever before. Your habits is like a gold mine inside you. Your people's habits are like a gold mine inside your business, and it's relatively untapped. And if you can learn how to unlock your people's habits, then the sky is the limit because that, the, that, the, that is the most precious asset and resource you've got in your business yet it's largely invisible to us. It's so true. You know, who we are today, like me sitting here and you over there in the UK, are all these, like this sort of form, this vessel, the mental health, the physical health, the decisions that we make, there's these tiny habits that have made us to who we are to these days. And it's these choices, isn't it? And these habits that we make every day. And my interesting thing, and I, I love this, I could talk to you for a very long time, John. I'm studying at university at the moment, cognitive neuroscience. So I'm loving this, I'm loving everything that you're saying. Uh, around the last thing I wanted to ask you about, because I think it's just so critical, right? Like habit formation is a key thing that we hear corporates asking about. Also willpower. You know, I love your, you know, scientific sort of insight in terms of willpower and the influence over the prefrontal cortex and is there truth in when we pre-commit to someone it helps it doubles our chance of achieving things or I'd love your take on willpower as a sort of a rounding up of the of the show today yeah so willpower is really important and we talk about that in our within our brain models but it's a tiny tiny resource so if we've got 98 percent of mindless behavior which is driven by the limbic regions of the brain 
which we call the ERP brain, the Alive Perceived Energy brain. The other 2%, if that's what it is, is the willpower. It's the conscious prefrontal cortex, but it's a limited resource. But it's the conduit for positive change because it's our awareness. It's where we start to recognize, well, wait a minute, beating myself up all the time is not very helpful. Checking my emails 10 times a day is not very helpful. Not sleep, sleeping like I'm isn't very helpful. So it's that self-awareness, but it's a limited resource. So we can't rely on willpower to see the change through. That's why we have to use willpower to activate the nine action factors. And on an individual level, you do that by using our habit building plans, which are all in the book. As a senior leader, you do that by using our culture uh, development plans, which again are in the book. So it's an important resource, but it's limited. And this idea of self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, is, is absolutely real. Our, our head of business her son just got the equivalent of all A stars in his GCSEs. And it's quite a hard road to get there. And he actually sat down with our head of education 12 months ago, and he predicted his exact grades 12 months ago. <laughs> That's amazing. Our head of education had to kind of talk him down a little bit on some grades and up on others. So, so you know, but... He had those things in his head and that's what he got. So self-fulfilling prophecies are real, but that isn't necessarily about the willpower because, you know, most of what we're doing is happening silently. You know, so you've got that um, invisible but very real thinking process that's going on right now silently. You're working on the things right now that you were working on this morning You'll do the same when you go to sleep tonight. And that's why that eureka moment just emerges in your brain. It isn't magic. It's because your brain's been working on the answer and it presents it to you in your conscious brain. So, yeah, the idea that willpower is nonsense and it isn't real is a nonsense because it is absolutely real. And it's the first tool that you use in order to start making positive change. But we can't simply rely on willpower to see the change through. That's where we bring in behavioral science and use the nine action factors that I talked through in the driving example. It's fantastic. Honestly, the uh, the habit mechanic, I feel like everyone needs to get their hands on one of these books. It's got so many great journal prompts. I mean, it's got it's full of science. It's action-based, which is what I love. It's got practical things in there to do. It's got the formulas in there. It's got templates. <laughs> how where do people get your book john i think it's a necessity for everyone to grab your book out there yeah so it's on all the major platforms including amazon it's on it's an audio book as well we've got the app coming out soon and the whole point is that you become a habit mechanic it's not just another book that you read this is a mindset that you adopt and if you want your business to be high performing, you've got to be helping your people and empowering them to adopt habit mechanic mindsets. So, but everything is in the book. We wrote it that way very deliberately. It's not a book that you read once. It's a manual for life. I literally, I pick this up every day. Literally, there's something I'll be thinking, oh, what's that thing? Oh yeah, it's that. And I'm using it, I'm using it like a manual reference every single day. It's so powerful. And in my building, I've, so for example, the, the lady who serves us coffee, I, I gave her this book because she, she saw the first copy of it that I had. I got the, the box of them. It's only been out a few months. I got the box 
and I was in between meetings and I grabbed the book and I, I wanted to grab a coffee and I had it in my hand. He said, what's the book? Who wrote it? I said, oh, I did. Oh, that's exactly what I need. So I said, hey, I'll take the book. So She's telling me it's life changing. She's telling me every day, this is changing my life. I'm telling everyone how great this is. So yeah, it's not, um, if you want to start making positive change, I wrote this book for you mm. and it is a manual for life. So, uh, so check wonderful. it out. And so great. John, where else can my audience find you and follow your work? What's your website? Do you have an Instagram handle out there? Where should we yeah, send so We're on, a, a, if you go to Tougher Minds, which is T-O-U-G-H-E-R-M-I-N-D-S.co.uk. That's our website. I'm really active on LinkedIn. Um, so Dr. John Finn on LinkedIn. Happy to connect on there if you like what you heard. That's brilliant. John, thank you so much for your wisdom. Thanks for sharing all this fantastic information with, with me, but also with the globe. I really appreciate you giving us your time today as well from the UK. So thanks for coming onto the show today. Thank you, Chelsea. And thanks to everyone for listening. This podcast and the information contained therein is made available for educational purposes only and is not intended to provide medical advice. This information should not be used as a substitute for competent medical advice from a licensed specialist, doctor or psychologist. Thank you.